The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Already, let me invite you to open up the book of Colossians on chapter 3 now. It's on page 984. If you need a Bible in the rack in front of you, do grab one so you can open up with us there in the scriptures. Uh, we are a, a Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church. We practice what's called expositional preaching, where the point of the sermon is the point of the text, the point comes out of the text, and we lift it up and apply it. That's exactly what we intend to do. We make it our discipline to do. And today, uh, we come to the beginning of chapter 3 in the book of Colossians. It's a new chapter, and it's also something of a turning point in the book. So that'll be a, a refreshing thing for us. And uh, just very quickly, in terms of an overview, what's happening here now is that in the book of Colossians, through two chapters, the Apostle Paul has been writing to the church at Colossae, this relatively small, relatively new church, to speak to them about the glories and the surpassing worth of the preeminent Christ. The first two chapters, Paul has been enamored with the glories of Jesus and exalting who Christ is in himself and for those he redeems. So the first two chapters has been focused on that. There's a hinge point then where now in chapter 3 he begins to speak about what all of that means for your Christian life. So, very typical of Paul's letters, what he'll do is he will do teaching in the first half and then application in the second half. That doesn't mean that application isn't weaved throughout, but it's usually structured as here is the body of truth that you need to know or the doctrine that I want you to believe. And then here is how that transforms your life as you take that doctrine not just into your head but into your heart, believing it, having it manifest outwardly the transformation of your life as you follow Jesus, the risen Savior. And the book of Colossians follows that same structure. Doctrine, application, teaching, how it brings about transformation. So... That's what we want to see this morning. So let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the scriptures as we hear the word together this morning. Gracious God, we pause now. Thankful to be able to open the Bible together. Thankful to have a Bible in a language that we can read and, and understand. We pray now, Lord, that as you have promised, that you would send your Holy Spirit who lives within us also to rest upon us to illuminate our minds and give understanding to us, to illuminate our hearts, that we might truly and sincerely receive and rest upon Jesus again as he has offered to us in the gospel, and that, Lord, you would illuminate our very lives, that we might be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. So, Lord, give clarity to the hearing and proclamation of your word, and may it bear fruit as it's planted deep within us, to the glory of your name, we ask it in the name of Christ, our resurrected Savior. Amen. And now hear the word of God, Colossians 3. It's the first four verses of chapter 3 under the heading put on the new self. This is the word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, 
who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So may he write his truth on our hearts today as we hear it and receive it in faith. So, uh, the Apostle Paul is moving towards application now. And as he turns to application, I want to be very clear about the fact that that doesn't mean that the first two chapters are somehow impractical or aren't helpful to us. It's just that the focus of the first two chapters really has not been on you as the Christian believer. It hasn't been focused so much on the Christian community. The focus in the first two chapters has been on Christ, who he is, what he has done, and where we do make an appearance in terms of understanding ourselves in the first two chapters it is with reference to how we understand our lives as being united to Christ. You're going to hear that language all through this morning. You've been hearing it as we've walked through the book of Colossians together. The Apostle Paul says that what is true of the Christian believer most fundamentally is that they are someone who is in relationship to or in union with Jesus Christ. So the first two chapters have been all about that, how we are united to him and who we are in Christ. Another way of saying that, to use a more grammatical way, and, and some of you are more into grammar than others, but the first two chapters have been focused on what we would call the indicative. The indicative, meaning Paul is saying, here is what is true. The indicative is a statement of truth. Here's what is true. Christ is the glory of the Father. Christ is the preeminent one. You are united to him by faith. You died in him and you were raised in him in the glory of Christ, the resurrected Lord. This is what is true. That's the indicative. The next section moves from what we call the indicative to the imperative. And the gospel always is indicative first, then imperative. Imperative is this is what you should do now in response to what is true. So again, it's indicative then imperative. This is what is true. Now, this is what you should do. It's very important to understand that that's the order because if you reverse them, you end up quite confused and frustrated thinking that what you do is going to make a reality the truth. You can't work yourself into the reality of a resurrected Lord you have a resurrected Lord, now here's what to do with that. But you don't, by virtue of your good deeds or your efforts or your best intentions, somehow raise Jesus from the grave. It's indicative, then imperative. So, what that means by way of introduction still for this is that there is a real importance for you as a Christian believer, and I want to speak very directly to this, because I think there's a temptation oftentimes for Christians who say, you know what, like, I really am content with just kind of knowing the basics, and I really don't feel like I need to learn anything, and I think I knew uh, everything I need to know from Sunday school growing up, and I'm totally content. I don't, you know, I don't need to grow. I don't need to learn. Uh, but the Apostle Paul is in the first two chapters of Colossians saying, no, you do need to grow. You need to grow in your knowledge of what is true. You need to grow in your apprehension of the glory of Jesus Christ. You need to grow in your apprehension and knowledge and joy and glory in the truth of who Jesus is. If you are totally content with everything about your spiritual state and knowledge, something might be wrong. 
need to have a, a growing hunger to want to know more and grow deeper and higher in your knowledge of the truth of who Jesus is. So in order to live a life that honors God, we must know the truth. Such to say, you can't just say, that's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. It's their responsibility to know spiritual stuff. I just hang out. That's not the case. You as a Christian need to be growing in your knowledge of the truth. But also, you can't be content with just knowing information. The point of growing in Christian truth is having the truth move from head to heart outwardly to transform us. So we need to correct two errors. One error is, I don't need to know anything. Yes, you do. You need to grow. The other error is thinking, all I need to do is just learn information. But if all you ever do is just learn information and your life isn't transformed, the information doesn't really seem to be believed by you. Because if it did, if you did, it would be transforming you. We need to seek a growing knowledge of the truth and have that truth transform us. And it is in that mindset that Paul says, here's this glorious truth. Now let me bring it home to you by way of application to say, here's how it is at work to transform your life. So that brings us to this text. The Apostle Paul here is writing to Colossae and really the church in every age, wanting to say something comprehensive about your life. Something absolutely comprehensive that covers every single one of us in every single sphere of life and every single age of our lives. Covering our past, our present, and our future. So that's what Paul is addressing here in this particular text. Your life, my life, and my past, my present, my future. Your past, present, and future. And we should say about that, usually some one of those three things makes us squirm a little bit. Maybe you're a person who doesn't like to talk about the past. Because there's stuff there they don't like digging up. Something of a skeleton in the closet. People are squirm or perhaps they carry too much guilt and so they don't like to think back about their past. But Paul is going to address our past. Some people don't like talking about their present state because perhaps they're discontent or dissatisfied with their state in life. And they are living in the past or living in the future but they don't like thinking about the present. But Paul is going to speak to your very present state of life. There are other people who don't like talking about the future because they're frightened by anxious thoughts of uncertainty about what will or will not be, and they don't like to think about it. So whatever one of those three you might be disposed to not think about the most, uh, you will hear Paul speaking right to it. Your past, your present, your future, how you should think about your life, the whole comprehensive sphere of your life, all things as he brings the gospel home by way of application to say, here's how the gospel matters, and here's how a resurrected Christ transforms your life. So notice how he speaks of this being raised with Christ. In verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. He's speaking very directly here by way of counsel as an apostle. What we're going to see here is that we, as Christian believers, have been raised with Christ. And we want to see how that resurrection glory of Jesus Christ transforms past, present, and future. As we think about the past, he's going to say, we have been raised with Christ. That's past tense language, thinking about our past. Then he'll say, our lives are hidden with Christ. Present tense language, thinking about right now. And he's also going to speak about the future appearance with Christ in glory. The resurrected Christ and past, present, and future. Future And this matters because if you're a Christian, you've got to know who you are in Jesus Christ. You've got to know what is true about your life 
in Jesus Christ, your past, your present, and your future as we are raised with Christ. So let's follow that, that very outline. And first, we need to see and think about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms our past. So again, still in verse 1, notice Paul uses this language of if then you have been raised with Christ, but uh, you could really translate that most literally as since then. The, don't get tripped over by the word if there. It's, it's not the case that there are categories of Christians, like there are some Christians who are raised with Christ, and there are other Christians who are not raised with Christ, when the very reality of being a Christian is to be raised with Christ. So Paul says, since you have been raised with Christ... And elsewhere in Colossians, he's talked about being buried with Christ, now being raised with Christ. The whole theme of participation, that the stuff that happens to Jesus happens to us when we trust in him. It's this language of union, this language of fellowship, this language of relationship. When Jesus died, we died in him. Jesus died for our sins, and so when Christ died, our sins were laid upon him. We died with him. And as a result, when he is raised, we are raised in him and we are raised with him. And his resurrection life counts for our resurrection life. Just like his death counted as our death, his life counts as our life. It's this participatory union language that is so important for us to understand as Christian believers. Because this is the way Paul explains the gospel. You were dead in sin. Now you are alive in Jesus Christ. You've been delivered from your sins that which brings spiritual death has been pardoned and paid for. Light has broken into darkness. Life has replaced death. You are alive, Paul says. And the big thing that we want to drive home here is, do you think about your life this way? You are alive, Paul says, as a Christian believer. Do you have a framework for your life according to the gospel in this way? To thinking about your past. And understanding yourself in relationship to your past. Now, I'm quite certain that you didn't do what Martin Luther used to do. Martin Luther, famous 16th century Protestant reformer, he used to wake up every day and say, I am a resurrected person. And uh, you probably didn't wake up this morning and say that about yourself. But I would encourage you maybe to, to do it every now and then. Because what the Apostle Paul is saying is that if you are a Christian, you are a resurrected person. You are raised in Christ. You are spiritually alive in Christ. You are now alive spiritually to God in Christ. But the challenge for us is that oftentimes, like, we don't feel this way. Uh, because we're busy and we're stressed out and we're anxious and we're fearful or we're thinking about all these different things. And life happens, right? And in the midst of life, we're not in the midst of piles of laundry and dirty dishes saying, I am a resurrected person, right? Maybe we should, but the Apostle Paul wants us to get this because he's saying, look, this is who you are. This is who you are. That's the whole point of the indicative. This is who you are. And you say to yourself, but I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way when I'm like crossways with my spouse and I'm being grumpy and I don't feel that way when things are hard. I don't feel that way. Well, let me, I've used this illustration before, but it really registers with me. The tallest man in medical history, do you know where he was born? Alton, Illinois. He's a local boy. His name was Robert Wadlow from Alton, Illinois. He was eight foot, 
11 and one-tenth of an inch tall. Okay? That's really tall, right? He weighed 439 pounds and had a size 37 shoe. He died in 1940, only living to be 22 years old because genetically he was a very complicated person. But what would you say to Robert, eight foot 11 and one-tenth of an inch tall Robert, if he sat down across from me one day and said, you know, I don't feel very tall today. He would say, but you are really tall. You are, in fact, Robert, the tallest man that has ever lived. For him to say, I don't feel tall, is not bearing upon reality. So for you and I, in moments of sorrow, struggle, frustration, fear, etc., anxiety, to say, I don't feel like this is true, the Apostle Paul is saying, that's not what's most important about you. What's most important about you is not how you feel or your fleeting emotions in the moment. What is most true about you is that you are alive in Jesus Christ. Despite all your circumstances and despite everything that's happening around you, you are no longer dead. You are alive. That's who you are. And that means that everything that is hinged on the reality of the resurrection is true, meaning your sins are forgiven, really and truly. Your sins of the past that which you are most ashamed of, that which brings sorrow to your heart to remember, that weight and shame and guilt are cast off because the old you is dead and you are alive in Jesus Christ. Too many people carry around the weight of their past. Christian believer, you are not your past sins. It's not who you are. That's dead now that you're alive in Christ. That's what Paul is saying. That changes how you should look at your past. That you are no longer your sins. You are alive in Jesus Christ. So it should change your past. But now it should also change and help you understand who you are right now in your present. And so as Paul thinks about the spectrum of life now, he's going to continue to talk about resurrection and your present and who you are right now in this moment. What does the resurrection of Christ and being a resurrected person mean for right now? That you have been raised with Christ as you think about the reality of the resurrection of Christ and the reality of being a Christian believer, how does it affect you? What's it supposed to look like, your life? Well, Paul says it, it takes you in two directions. Do you see it there in verse 1 and verse 2? He, he uses two, two verbs. He says, seek in verse 1 and also in verse 2, set. Seek and set. In verse 1, it's seek the things that are above. And in verse 2, set your mind on things above. And it's repeated there in close proximity, so we have to ask, what's with all this things above business, right? Like, what, what is the point here in the text? Uh, for many people throughout church history, they have assumed that, that these references to the things above are, are this notion that, that the purpose of my life as a Christian is somehow to escape the world and, and, and get away and just be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. Do you remember the illustration of Simon of Stylides from last week or a couple of weeks ago, living on top of a pillar? Kind of escapism. Getting away from all of these things. So heavenly minded, no earthly good. But that's, that's not what Paul's talking about. This is not a call to live in a constant state of absence or denial about the reality of life. In fact, 
We know that's the case because if you scan forward in the book of Colossians, just look through over the rest of chapter 3 and into chapter 4, Paul is going to take the reality of the resurrection and start to apply it to very particular contexts, socially and personally. He's going to take the glory of the resurrection and say, okay, here's what that's supposed to mean for your marriage and for your employment and your children and your relationships and friendships and the church. As you struggle with issues of forgiveness and people have sinned against you and you're crossways with them, here's how the resurrection is supposed to transform you as you seek and set the things above in your mind. What he's trying to say is, look, in the midst of your life, in the midst, again, of the dirty dishes and the piles of laundry and the things to do and the, all the burdens, you are a Christian. And that is supposed to be the most defining reality of your life. In the midst of real life and everyday realities, you are a Christian. You are raised with Christ here in this moment. Now, I understand that this language can seem a bit strange because we usually seek for things that we don't have, right? You lost your keys again, and you're trying to get out the door, and you're like, where are my keys? Where's my wallet? Where are my glasses? My dad always lost his glasses in the freezer. I have no idea why, but it was always, did you check the freezer, right? We lose things, and so we look for them, right? So isn't it strange that Paul uses this language of seeking after something that you already possess? Isn't that interesting? Here Paul is calling you to seek after something you already have. You have Christ. You have been united to him. Raised with him. Now he says, seek him. Set your mind upon him. In other words, pursue him. Pursue the knowledge of Christ and the praise of Christ. Pursue growth in Christ. Seek him. Set your mind upon these heavenly realities. Not because you don't have them, but because you do and you should grow deeper in them. So in the midst of your present life, Paul says, you are raised with Christ right now. So you should be seeking the things that are above and setting your mind on things that are above. Not on things that are on the earth. Look, you know, everybody, everybody chooses how to spend their time and occupy themselves. But uh, just, just to ask you, if you're dissatisfied with your state of life or you're dissatisfied with your present spiritual condition, is it perhaps because you're not giving yourself to setting your mind on the things that are above and seeking the things that are above? That you're just doing too much, just ordinary stuff that you don't actually need to do. Not saying maybe other things aren't important, but Paul says this is the most important thing. The most important thing, set your mind upon Christ and be transformed into his image, your present state of life, right here and right now, in the midst of everything. And once that is established and secured in our heart, Paul also takes us into the future. He wants us to see the difference that the resurrection makes on into the future. We've already seen in verse 1 that we've been raised with Christ, that our lives are hidden with Christ. Verse 3, there is this sense in which there's more still, right? The past, the present, and the future. Therein, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And before we consider that appearance with him in glory, notice again the way Paul can speak so intimately about Christ being your life 
because the union between the two are, are so knit that he is your life. He's not just a part of your life or a sector or a side dish on the plate of your life, right? He is your life. That's how intimately this union language is present here. He is your very life. And as it affects what is yet to come, still in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will, future tense language, what is still yet to come. There's this sense in which the Christian believer is still waiting on so much to happen, uh, awaiting patiently the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. But until then, Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is in him as you wait. When your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And what that means to be hidden in Christ as you wait is that your, your life is safe. It's language of security, right? Because we, we, when we hide things away, we tuck them away, don't we? We hide things away for safekeeping. We place them in a safe place and tuck them away because we know that there's a day yet to come when we're going to need them. We put them in safe places, and that's exactly how the Apostle Paul wants us to think about our life. So the question then becomes, do you think about your Christian life existing in a state of hidden away assurance and confidence? Your life is hidden with Christ. God has hidden your life away in Christ, and what is yet to come will be revealed. But until that time, it is safely and securely held with God in Christ. But are you, are you an assured person today? Because chances are, if you struggle with assurance and you're fearful and doubting, it's again likely because you're so focused on your outward circumstances that these spiritual truths don't become the governing reality for your life. Paul says your life is hidden with Christ. It's safe. You are safe in and with Jesus Christ. Do you have confidence in him this morning? Because there's lots of things that you can have confidence in that will go away. You know that. So do I. Our confidence is not ultimately in a bank account or a retirement investment account. Our retirement is not ultimately in stuff. Our, our security and comfort and hope and assurance aren't even in people, other people. Love them dearly as we may. The Bible tells us that we should hold loosely to these things because they are not the ultimate source of our comfort. They are not our security. The good news of the gospel is that I can lose these earthly things and still be at peace because my life is hidden with God in Christ Loved one, you may even lose your mind to the horrific long goodbye of dementia. You may forget, but God will not forget you in Christ because you are hidden away in him. You are safely kept in God with Christ. So Paul wants you to think about your life this way. Paul wants you to consider the totality of your existence, your past, your present, your future, all under the beautiful glory of the resurrected Christ. That means that the life that we have in Christ cannot be lost. And the life that we have in Christ is sufficient to move us forward in the midst of all things. So, dear friends, here again, by way of conclusion to you, you, if you are in Christ, 
are alive. It may be the case that you're seeing these things and hearing these things and you say, that, that, that doesn't register with me at all. And I just simply want to suggest to you that it may be because you are not alive in Christ. You may be familiar with these things and have a passing familiarity, but you don't know what it means to die and be raised in Christ through faith. And Jesus extends himself to you. And to all who do receive him, he transforms past, present, future as a gloriously resurrected Savior and all of your hope. Dear friends, this is our Savior. And this is how he transforms our lives. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the mercy that you give to us in your Son. We praise you for your plan of redemption to both send for us a Savior and raise him for our justification and eternal life. We pray, Lord, that we would indeed, as your word teaches, set our minds on things above, seek that which is given to us, namely Christ himself. Bless us each individually, Lord. We pray especially for those uh, who hear these things and and they land strangely upon their minds. And they wonder what it could possibly mean to be forgiven. Lord, lead them by your spirit to your son, the Lord Jesus, who is our resurrection and life. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington epc.org. May God bless and keep you.